0: from vacation and I actually went outside I know you guys a lot some of you are shocked by that so usually I, I hide under an umbrella somewhere with uh I usually like to do whatever year it is that's what level sunblock I do so a like 2020 sunblock usually what I wear but I actually went outside and uh, we had a good time so thanks uh yeah thanks for all that all right so today I want to talk to you about inextinguishable hope and here's the bad news you know what often comes with hope waiting I don't know about you guys you just love waiting isn't it just so much fun Here's our Proverbs 13:12 says hope deferred makes the heart sick but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Uh, waiting is not something that's very American. Is it? it's not something that we like. Are typically like uh, leaning into that thing. Like you come up to a stoplight, I don't know about you guys, but you know, you're you're coming up there and you start calculating like the horsepower of the cars, which car is going to pull away the fastest from the thing you get behind that one, right? You got a grocery store, you're getting ready to check out. I don't know about you guys, but I'm calculating, like, the number of people, multiplying it by the number of groceries, and I'm trying to figure out which line is going to get through quickest. And then in my bad days, I don't know if you guys ever do this, you pick which person would have been you if you would have picked that other line, and you calculate, you, know, you see <laughs> you see who made it first, and I find myself, like, sending, like, these mental things, like, to hurry up and all those types. Like, waiting's not like a, it's not like a very, am I alone in here? You guys are looking at me like, you are the most impatient pastor. It's like a fruit of the Spirit, it's like, I don't know patience. Waiting is not something we enjoy. Let's look at our Romans 4.17. I'm gonna have to read it on the screen. I actually forgot to put it in my notes, but there there we go. Romans, uh, no, it's actually Romans 4.17. Hopefully that, yeah, that is it. Romans 4.17. He is our example and father. Okay, this is speaking of Abraham. God gave Abraham a promise uh, when he was 75 years old that he was gonna have a child. So he had never had a child. His wife was 65. How many guys know that 75-year-olds and 65-year-olds are not typically when you start a family? Okay, and here's the, here's the uh, tricky thing. God made him wait 25 years for the fulfillment of the promise. I it guess it's like a pattern. Promise, process, fulfillment. Some of you guys are like, man, I prayed for the God show me this thing. I've been praying for like three days now. It hasn't come to pass. I don't know what I'm going to do. Just keep listening. So Abraham is our example and father for in God's presence, he believed that God can raise the dead and call into being things that don't even. Okay, this is the wrong verse. Yeah, are we, okay, we're back to four. Okay, here we go. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let's just start here. <laughs> when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. Oh man, that's big. That's big. He's not looking at his body. He's not looking at his loins were dead. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Is that it? Apparently I didn't remember these verses as, as well as, uh, as I thought I did. All right. Um, listen, guys, God's, God's desire is not this that he answers prayer and gets you out of problems. He actually wants you to become the kind of person who can carry the weight of the answer. I thought it was better than that too. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Maybe everyone else just had like the delayed action effect here. Like, all right, you're going to trick us with something here. He gives you promises, and those promises shape you to make you the person who can carry the answer. What if God has something bigger than just answering your problem? What if He wants you to become the answer and not just receive the answer? I know it doesn't sound very American. It's like, we want it now, you know? Like, Domino's became the number one pizza delivery. How? Because uh, they were able to do it in 30 minutes or less. Not because it was the best pizza, because they could get it to you quickly, right? Per Plus became the number one, hair, uh, number one shampoo. Why? Because they put the shampoo and the conditioner all in one so you can say, like, we're into this time-saving stuff. Listen, the kingdom of God is not like that. It's not about you doing time hacks and trying to figure out the quickest way to the promise. God's like, no, I want you to actually become the person who can carry the answer. I want you to become the answer. Abraham took God at his word and says, in hope, he believed against hope. I don't know about you guys, it's hard to keep natural hope alive. Like trying to like psych yourself up and like keep yourself up in an emotional level to like try to, you know, fake it till you make it. It's draining to do that. But listen, when you have a word from the Lord And you keep that word before you, it becomes a source of life. If you have a word from the Lord and you don't keep that before you, you're gonna go back to natural hope just trying to psych yourself up. Biblical hope is rooted in the character of God, it's not rooted in our emotional ability to keep ourselves charged up. Biblical hope swallows up natural hope. Listen, I believe hope is one of the most misunderstood words in the New Testament. Okay, here's typically what we think of hope. When people say hope, they believe it's believing, you're believing but you really know you're not going to get it. It's, you know, anybody in their right mind knows you're never going to get it, but I'm going to say I hope I can because that's the right thing to say. Hope in the minds of people really means um, highly improbable, bordering on the impossible, but we're going to say that we're hoping anyway. Like, Like often here at the hospital, what do they say? We can only hope. What does that mean? It means there's no hope. That's what they mean when they say hope. And we've taken that, like, American definition of hope, and we've put that into the Bible, you know, where it's the equivalent of, like, wishing upon a star or, like, a Thanksgiving, you know, where they grab the wishbone and they pull the wishbone, whoever's got the longest wishbone. No one actually thinks that the wish is going to come true. It obviously didn't do the turkey any good, all right? It's not doing anything. I mean, I hope one day to have six-pack abs and be able to wiggle my pecs at my wife. I mean, I, I... I was thinking about that this morning. That would actually be like, I would love to try that during a fight sometime. Like, she's like mad at me, and I'll be like, da na dun Like, make him dance. Like, I don't know if it would make her more mad, or if she would laugh, or just be in awe and just want me. Okay. And so, um, but the word hope in the New Testament is not a dreamy fantasy. I hope one day it might be. No, no, no. The word hope means an unshakable confidence, that a specific promise or blessing will come to pass. Let me say that again in case you thought I was kidding. Unshakable confidence, inextinguishable hope, that a specific promise or blessing will come to pass. I want you to get this. Hope in the New Testament has a built-in certainty factor. Okay? It's the God factor that he will do what he promised he will do. I don't have it yet, but hope says it's as good as if I've got it. That's biblical hope. God made the promise, and he will keep his promise. That's hope. Hope is seeing on the inside what I do not yet see on the outside. Andrew Wommack calls it positive imagination. Listen, guys, if you can't see it on the inside, you may never see it on the outside. Most likely, you won't. Everything begins on the inside. Hope is the confident expectation of good in every situation of your life. That's biblical hope. In any area of your life that you don't have a constant expectation of good, you're believing a lie. Because there's no area of your life that God is hopeless about. You may be hopeless, but God's not like, oh my gosh, look at their finances. Like, oh, these poor people. No, no, no. He's not like COVID. Oh my gosh, COVID. Well, look at the way they're counting the cases. I'm like, no. God's not hopeless about situations up there. He's not hopeless about the race issue in our country. He's not hopeless about the election. You may be hopeless, but God's not hopeless. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, but he explains it a little bit more. So the the popular passage for the helmet of salvation is in the um, the Ephesians 6 passage where it talks about putting on the full armor of God. He uses that same picture, but explains a little more in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul is saying that helmet, that piece that covers our mind, is actually the hope that comes from salvation. The hope of uh, of being saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected in every certain circumstance. The protection for the mind is hope. I want you to think of that. These are giving us this picture. Of what actually protects our mind is hope. How many guys saw that philosophical movie, Kung Fu Panda? <laughs> Brilliant movie. I I mean, it is a really good movie. And so, uh, so those of you who don't know it, it's an it's a um, animated movie. It's not a documentary. It's uh, it's about a panda. Who uh, is, is voiced by Jack Black? Who's funny? Whatever he does, like he can just stand there and be funny. And so it's this kung fu panda, and he's chunky and he's overweight, and so he's training to perhaps one day be the dragon warrior, kind of like the ultimate uh, martial artist protecting the region. But uh, there's this enemy named Tai Lung, and I uh, Tai Tai Lee or Tai Lung? Tai Lung, Lung, Lung. And was he a panther? What was he? Tiger. Was it tiger? He was some form of feline, fierce beast, <laughs> up for debate among the crowd here. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not taking a poll from you people anymore. All right, all right. So Tai Long was, let's just call him a panther for for, the, for those of you going to be man. If you don't, some of you are getting on your phones right now. Just stop it. All right, <laughs> it's not important. Was it on a Thursday or was it on a Wednesday? Don't you hate when the couples are telling stories and they're fighting over? It, like, just get to the point. All right. The panda, who's chunky, is fighting this lean, mean feline named Tai Lung. or Lee. Wait, Tai, tai. we'll just call him Tai.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm ruining my own story here. And so there's this scene, though, where they're fighting over the dragon scroll, which contains the secrets to become the dragon warrior. And so um, uh, Kung Fu Panda, he, uh, he gets it, and uh, he looks at it, and it's actually uh, a reflective mirror. And he realizes, like, uh, the secret lies within being myself. Like, I have this secret within me. I don't need to learn a whole bunch of other secrets. So once he has this revelation, he doesn't have to try to be something that he's not. So he's kind of this chunky, awkward guy. So he begins using this style against the fierce feline of unknown origin, um, Tai Tai Lung. And so uh, it's interesting because if you remember, um, he's actually using his fat for his own advantage. Some of you are encouraged by this. You're like, tell me. Tell me more about this. And so there's this one great scene where uh, like, uh, Tai Lung's like, rattling off all these punches, and uh, he's sitting there saying, that tickles. It's no longer affecting him. And then like, the, uh, uh, the, the feline of unknown origin charges him, and this, the, the fat absorbs it and then repels Tai Lung. Remember, he, he flings and all this, okay? I want you guys to get this. His fat actually kept the, was the protective layer that kept the dangers from the outside from getting on the inside. That's what hope is. It is a protective layer for your mind that keeps the dangers from the outside from beginning on the inside. I worked really hard for that illustration. (laughs) I feel like I need a little something. (laughs) I burned calories for that illustration. I don't even know what happened there. Hope keeps you aligned with ultimate reality. When you don't have hope... You're in an alternate deceptive reality that's not from heaven's perspective. Hope helps me see things from heaven's perspective. I'm not believing all these lies. I have that helmet on that's a protective layer of fat. Okay, Romans 3, 4. We can rejoice too. So when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops the strength of character. And character strengthens our confident Hope of salvation. Again, there's that picture, that hope of salvation. It's that helmet that we put on our head. It protects our thoughts, our minds, our imaginations, okay? Steve Backlund says this. Any area of your life that is not glistening with hope, not just like hope, glistening with hope, that's a graphic picture there. You are believing a lie and has become a stronghold in in that area of your life. Any area of your life, you do not have a confident expectation of good, you're believing a lie, and it it can become a stronghold. Here's what a stronghold is, is. Anything that's normal for you, that's not normal in the kingdom. Hopelessness is not normal in the kingdom. Fear is not normal in the kingdom. You, okay, you guys get the picture. What if we could download an app that had a hope meter? If you could somehow hook up a hope meter to actually determine the levels of hope, it would actually determine the levels of truth that you're believing when, your hope, when the hope meter re- reads low, you're believing lies. You're, out of sort, you're, you're not in line with reality. Whenever you feel hopeless in an area of your life, you're believing a lie, and your helmet is off, and you're taking blows to the head. Your defenses aren't up. So let me ask you, Aria, do, do you have glistening hope for you to be out of debt? Do you have confident expectation of good for your health? Do you have an unshakable confidence for the healing or salvation of your loved one? Do you have an inextinguishable hope for the person you're married to? Do not answer that one out loud. That situation at work that seems impossible. Do you have glistening hope for our country? I tell you what, if you feed yourself on news, it is going to be challenging to have glistening hope. I didn't say don't read the news. I didn't say don't be aware of what's going on. I'm talking about feeding it where you give give it a place to your heart. When you give the news more place to your emotions than the word of God, it's going to be difficult to have glistening hope. It's going to be glistening to even get out of, it's going to be hard to even get out of bed. I I spent, one day, I don't typically feed myself on the news. I typically don't even try to read it. I remember one day I spent about an hour or two looking at this stuff and I started believing about 13 different conspiracy theories. I started, I mean, it was just, it was tough, right? Glistening hope is the goal. Any area of your life that is not glistening with hope, you're believing a lie and has become a stronghold in that area of your life. Remember, your hope levels are just an indicator of your truth levels that you're believing. Listen to Romans 4 in the message. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. Notice it wasn't about Abraham's ability to fulfill the promise. It was God saying, I will do this. And so he was made a father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, You're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, It's hopeless. This hundred year old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God sure that God would make good in what he said. Guys, we owe people a life of extreme hope. Someone once said this, whoever has the most hope has the most influence. Here he is 100 years old, his wife is 90, he has this impossible promise and yet he still believes God. He wasn't looking at his own ability to fulfill it. Guys, that's where we get into this thing. A lot of people, what they do is they look in their own logic and they're cautious and fearful, and people call that caution and fear wisdom. It's in that atmosphere of contagious hope that gave birth to a miracle in Abraham's life. What if the only thing that needs to be uh, joined to that faith is that, uh, is that soil of hope for the miracle to be birthed in your life? It's interesting. Abraham was called righteous. He's one of the few people in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that was called Righteous. His nephew, Lot, was also called righteous. I want you I want to do a little contrast here. 2 Peter 2, seven. Abraham rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. I want you to get this. So Abraham's righteous, he's going to heaven. Lot's righteous, he's going to heaven. But their lives still had completely different uh, effects because one had hope and one got distracted and didn't have hope. Both are called righteous. Abraham defined his surroundings, but Lot was defined by his surroundings. Abraham lived with hope, Lot just had wishes. When God, made, listen, guys, there's a lot of Christians who are going to heaven. They're born again, they're saved, but they're getting distracted by the sensual desires of the world, they're getting distracted by all these things, and their life is not fulfilling what God wants them to be. You're still going to be in heaven. You just might have to wear a dunce cap for the first millennium. No, you're not going to do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> when God makes a promise, it's not a challenge for you to accomplish that, pro- that promise in your own strength. It's an invitation to a process to become the person who can carry the answer. How? By helplessly depending on Him. Mm, that's not very American either. So, so, Jim, you're saying there might be a process in waiting? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, Jim, what you're, you're trying to say is I'm going to have to helplessly depend on God, isn't it? Pull yourself up by your... No, 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 it's, it's about helplessly depending on it. It's a process. We want the event, but biblically, those and suddenly events where God invades, they're preceded by processes and followed by a process. We love to celebrate that, yeah, I had this miracle come through, but there's a process of God helping you become the person who can carry the answer. Abram, his name was Abram before it was Abraham, so God gave him the promise when his name was Abram. He had nothing to do with the terms of God's promise. like, like It wasn't like his own goodness, it was out of God's goodness. Remember, Abraham's like lying, exaggerating, doing all this stuff, and God's like, listen, I love you, I got a plan for your life, you're going to need this word. So God comes to him with this promise. It was God's character that guaranteed the promise and the fulfillment, not Abraham's character. All Abraham could do is, uh, what any of us can do with any promise is look at it and say, thank you, Lord, and then walk with him in helpless dependence to fulfill the promise. Listen, if you give your, let's just say any good parent gives their uh, child a promise that they're going to get them a bicycle for Christmas, that's not a challenge for the child to do whatever they can do in their own strength to get a bicycle by Christmas. And yet that's how many Christians treat the promises of God. They see a promise and like, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Listen, just because it's rhymes doesn't mean it supersedes scripture. (laughs) Abraham and Sarah, they got off course. They tried to adopt Lot. They tried to have a baby with another child. Really what that was, a lot of us, our misunderstandings or us trying to take promises in our own hands, is just a slander against God's character. We don't really believe he's as good as he says he is. So we're going to have to help the big guy out a little bit. They were seeking to achieve God's promises in their own ability and strength, and it always leads to disaster. So this verse says that Abram, he kept this promise before him. I love the story of Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile. I love any of those kind of breakthrough events. And so I forget what year it was, 40s or 50s. Um, Roger Bannister, and so when he was 19 years old, he was a a good runner. He but he studied a lot of physiology and biology, and he realized it's not physically impossible to run a four-minute mile, because people at that time were saying, listen, your body's gonna come apart, you can't possibly do it. And he said, you know, it's a psychological barrier. And so he committed himself at age 19 that he was going to uh, actually break the four-minute mile. And so he actually put up on, the, on his wall, every day he would look at it, three minutes, colon, and then and a time. He kept that promise before him, so he trained towards that whole thing. And I, I love the, um, and so in his mind, he just broke it down. He's like, listen, I need to run, uh, you know, one lap was a quarter mile, so I need to run four laps, one minute per lap, and one just a little bit faster. That was his whole mentality. I like, just need to do it. So on the day that he actually broke the record, uh, two of his friends were the, the pace setters. And so they had one, uh, one friend ran it for uh, the two laps, and the other one ran it for the final two laps. And so um, it, he, one of the laps he ran a minute and two seconds so now he, uh, and the final lap he needed to run a 58 second uh, uh, finishing on the quarter I, I love the way they, um, he tells the story Is you know, you know, so he crosses the finish line and nobody knows the time yet so they're waiting for the announcement and they, uh, all they heard was the word three minutes and no one even heard the rest of it because the crowd just erupted in cheers and he broke the four minute mile and uh, since then several people have done it more people have climbed Mount Everest and have broken the four-minute mile, which is interesting. But he was the first person to do it. But I love how he did it, is he kept that promise before him. Something came in. Guys, what if we were to take God's word that seriously? This guy did it for running a race. And I, I love it when they interviewed him decades later. He's like, yeah, that was a great accomplishment in life. But he said, my children and my grandchildren were much, more, much greater accomplishments in my life. I mean, that, that was a great thing that we remember, but that wasn't his greatest thing. Some of the promises that God has made in your life affect your children and your grandchildren and cities and villages and workplaces. They're, they're much greater of importance than that. Um, I, I enjoy good comedy and uh, Jerry Seinfeld, I really I enjoy him. And one of the things I like about him, this is a popular story, but it's a really a profound story, is he tells the story of how you know he wears tennis shoes every day to remind himself that he doesn't have a real job and he has to continue to work and all that stuff but he has a calendar and his goal is to write comedy every day he says it's like muscle memory he says you can lose it really quickly if you don't if you don't continue at it so he tries to write jokes every single day and every day he does it he puts a big red x on the calendar and he says it begins to form a chain and his goal is to never break the chain and so for years now he's writes comedy every single day keeps the chain going but he keeps it up on a wall to remind himself to do these things guys Abraham kept God's promise as a reminder. The promise wasn't that he would have a child. The promise is that he would be a father of many nations. But God had to help him become the kind of person who could not only have a child, but could be the father of many nations. Some of God's promises are so big over your life that uh, they take character to fulfill. And any delays and answers, the answer is only gaining interest. The delay wasn't so you could have a child. The delay was so that he could be the father of nations. What if we kept those kind of things before us? Biblical hope. I'm not talking about psychological hope, pumping up your emotions. I'm talking about anchored in the reality of God. What is it that he has promised? I feel like God's inviting us to upgrade our dreams. And some of us, we've made our dreams so spiritual that it's not even practical anymore. God says this. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your hearts. You know what that means? If you're delighting yourself in God, you can trust your desires. I think it's important to not even categorize natural dreams from spiritual dreams. If you're delighting yourself in God, he's for all of them. I, don't know, I'm like, I'm I think it would be powerful for you to write down a list of dreams and not even categorize them. My list includes everything from emptying out hospitals to owning certain sports cars. Plural. (laughs) I'm not saying those two things are on the same level. I'm not talking about your wish list to Santa, but I believe every dream is significant. Sometimes we dream things that we think will happen this way, and it's only when we get in the middle of a difficulty and God changes our character that it gets answered a completely different way. God loves doing that. So here's what I want you to do. Get out your phone for a moment. Get out a piece of paper, whatever I want you to do. We're going to just do a little exercise here with the Lord. We're going to do two little exercises, and we're going to get you guys to lunch here. And just ask the Lord this. Lord, what are those dreams you want want me to keep in front of you? Actually, I said that wrong. What are those dreams you want me to keep in front of me? God doesn't need to see him. You need to see him. God, what are those dreams you want me to keep in front of me? I want you to just take uh, 60 seconds here and then just see what comes to mind. Maybe it's a dream about your family, a business, or doing good, or whatever it might be. Losing weight, going on vacation, whatever. What are those dreams you want me to keep in front of me? I'm going to be quiet for 60 seconds here and just uh, jot down anything that comes to mind. All right, that was 60 seconds. I'm going to give you another bonus 30 seconds because I went on vacation and I'm extra generous. Let me read you this verse, 1 Timothy 1.18 in the Passion translation. Paul tells Timothy, "Use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience." Some of those promises God's give you may be in the form of prophecies that you need to keep before you, so you can remember. God's giving you a picture of your future. Now there is a process for you to become the kind of person who can carry the weight of that future. So one of the ways that we keep promises before us would be scriptures. Another way would be those prophetic words that God gives us. Another one would be those desires as we delight ourselves in him. we we getting the picture? All right, I'm going to close with this picture. I can't remember where I, uh, where I read this from. I, I didn't write it down. But um, it's about trapeze artists. Um, there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher. Now, this does not surprise me at all. If I was, uh, if I was the flyer, I would want to be on very good terms with the catcher. Like any, time, any kind of relational conflict, I want to solve those prior to letting go of the trapeze. I, I, that's just, that was just a little personal freebie there. As we watch the flyer swinging high above the crowd, the moment comes when he lets go of the trapeze and when he arcs into the air. For that moment, which must feel like an eternity, the flyer is suspended in nothingness. It's too late to reach back for the trapeze. There's no going back now. However, it's too soon to be grasped by the one who will catch him. He cannot accelerate the catch. In that moment, his job is to be still and motionless as he can. Okay, here it is. It was actually Henry Nouwen. He writes, The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. He must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. His job is not to flail about in anxiety, In fact, if he does, it could kill him. His job is to be still, to wait, and to wait is the hardest work of all, end quote. Gang, that's where some of you guys are at. You have let go of the one thing, God gave you the promise, and you're like, yes, I'm going for it, and you haven't been caught yet. And it feels like you're caught between heaven and earth with no net. And your job is not to flail about. Your job is not to try to make the promise happen or to try to catch the person. You're going to get hurt that way. You're going to create an ishmael. You're going to do something that God doesn't want. Inextinguishable hope a lot of times looks like radical trust. It looks like patient endurance. And we can't do that in our own human emotions. We've got to be able to tap into what God has. So here's what I want to do. I want you guys to stand up. And take out your wallets. I'm teasing. That's just terrible. <laughs> terrible joke. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to just pray for some different categories here. I just want to go after some areas that, um, that people probably need breakthrough in and probably need a radical infusion of hope. Okay? And so let's just go after finances first. If your finances are great, then um, pray that they become greater and you can become more generous. If they need some help, let's pray for an infusion of hope. Because if you can't see it on the inside, Bible calls that faith. We're not going to be able to see it manifest on the outside. See, poverty, listen, you can be broke and not be poor. Broke is a temporary financial condition. Poverty is a lens that only sees meager possibilities. And when you only see meager possibilities, hopelessness, it affects heaven's ability to invade your life. That's why the Bible says prosper as your soul prospers. You have to start on the inside before God can bless you on the outside. I'm not saying that's the only thing involved, but it's, it's a good first step. All right, so let's go after finances here. Just join me in prayer. As I just wrote down a couple things. Um, they're more like declarations. But Lord, I just, uh, we just pray that this will be a season, of breakthrough economically. And I, I just pray against people just having their sights set on, I'm just barely making it. And we say no to that. And we pray for a divine hope that would consume natural hope. there would be ideas with action to create wealth. I'm going to say that again. There would be ideas with action to create wealth. God said he gave you the power to create wealth. He didn't just say he'd give you wealth. So stop waiting for wealth to fall on your head like ripe cherries off of a tree. And say, say, listen, you do not have a money problem. You have an idea problem. And so Holy Spirit, we ask for ideas for how they can partner with you to start businesses, Lord, to, to get involved in real estate, to involve some form of investing. Let's go after relationships and specifically family. Lord, I just pray that this next season for a restoration of hope for lost family members. Some of you have family members who are drug addicts and are so far gone that they cannot even communicate, and yet Jesus is the one resource for healing broken hearts and broken minds. I've seen him do it over and over again. So Lord, we pray for those family members where it seems to be no hope. God, we renew our minds and we say that there is, gl- there is glistening hope. And so Lord, we pray for a breakthrough. We pray for a miracle in lives who are just messed up in substance abuse, hopelessness, uh, far from you, and Lord, where well, there's conflicts in families, and um, <laughs> let me just say this, guys: some sometimes conflict is good because uh, iron sharpens iron. I'm not I'm not saying like like you know this, but if everyone just got along with you all the time, you would ha- lose the opportunity to have character formed. Do you know how strategic God is to put someone with just those right edges to go just with your edges, so that there's yeah, If you don't have someone like that in your life, we have a list of people in the church who could be that for you. <laughs> Just join a revival community group. You're probably that person for them. But God can use all that stuff. okay? God can use all that stuff. But Lord, we pray for where there's been conflict, where there's been a bro- breaking down of relationships. God, where people aren't talking to each other, where it's tense in the room. Lord, we pray let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that shalom peace would enter those relationships. Lord, I pray that the people of Zion would carry that peace and transform the atmospheres when they walk into those family gatherings, into those workplaces, into those neighborhood meetings, into those school places. Let's go after health. guys, we can't let Old Testament Israel have the pinnacle of divine health. Old Testament, sinful, unbelieving Israel did not have the Holy Spirit. For 40 years, they walked in divine health in the desert. We can't let that be the high water mark for the Christian church. I understand health involves more than happy thoughts. One of my mentors believes that 80% of health is actually your emotional health. This is a freebie. God revealed himself as healer in the Old Covenant in the context of the food laws, which was healthy eating. But now I'm getting into meddling instead of preaching. So, Lord, I pray that Christians would be the healthiest people on the planet. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and self-control on our food choices and our exercise. But Lord, I pray that we would have the emotional health, God, that we would not be stressed out. We would not be carrying the fear and worry and anxiety, God, that we would have the emotional health that would lead to physical health. And Lord, where there seems to be hopeless situations in health, in family members' health, where the doctors have said all we can do is hope, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray for an infusion of Jesus. (laughs) We pray for a miraculous turnaround. Lord, we just declare that you bore their sickness, you carried their pain, by your stripes they are healed. Lord, I pray for people in this room who have lived with injuries or live with pain and just think that's how it's going to be. I pray for an infusion of hope right now that you are their healer. Lord, it's not wishing upon a star. You shed blood for this and we believe it in the name of Jesus. I want to pray for some ministry dreams. Some of you are looking for a title, and what you don't need—you don't need a title or a position. Uh, what you need is just to serve, and God will get you into places that you couldn't get yourself into a thousand years of striving. Remember, when God gives the promise, He's the one who's going to fulfill the promise. He just wants you to become that person. So, Lord, there's destinies in this room that are waiting to be birthed. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Mary had to sing out, "I'm ready." I am ready. I don't think she, I didn't know what I was going to preach on yet. this morning. I plan on doing the story of Mephibosheth and the, relating it to the new covenant. So I was going to do something different. But I feel like maybe God is, he's trying to, he's really trying to get us to hope. <laughs> Lord, I just thank you that some people have been prepared for this next season. And so Lord, we give up striving. We give up clawing. We give up trying to make it happen in our own strength. And we just say, God, we submit to your timing but when you open a door, we're going to go through full force. We're going to do our part. We're going to have faith with works. And so, Lord, I just pray for people who've had dreams in their heart that that hope deferred would not make them sick, that that would turn into supernatural hope. Lord, ministries, people groups that they want to help, charities they want to give to. Lord, I just pray for an infusion of hope right now in the name of Jesus. Let's pray for contagious hope in our city and our country. Let's pray that there's a news source that begins to report contagious hope in our country. They say that fear sells, and let's just pray that hope begins to sell. (laughs) People are just so tired of the people acting like three-year-olds. Lord, we thank you that you are not hopeless about our country, that you are doing things behind the scenes that there's prayer meetings being organized secretly, that you're prompting individuals to pray, that things are happening in the Senate and in the House of Representatives and in the White House that we don't even know about. But God, you're strategically moving chess pieces. You're aligning things. Lord, we pray against evil. Lord, we pray against terrorism. Lord, we pray against uh, the things that are going on in some of the streets of the cities. God, that you would stop the confusion, that you would stop the madness. Lord, for the stuff that's coming to light over, uh, over human trafficking and sex trafficking, we pray for justice. We pray that names would be named and people would be brought to hold accountability. I read this, this week, only 2% of kids that are sex trafficked actually get rescued. God, we pray for 100%. God, we pray that you would give supernatural wisdom to law enforcement, God, that they would know where these rings are being, uh, where, where it's happening, that leaders would be brought to justice, that these girls and guys would be freed, that they would be restored and made whole. Lord, we come against this slavery in our country. Lord, you're not hopeless about it. Lord, I pray for divine ideas and strategies would come to key people with resources, with courage to move, with courage to speak out. Lord, all this stuff that's coming to light. we pray that justice of heaven would happen in this thing. Lord, all the cover-ups, all that, I pray that it would come to light. Lord, we pray that righteousness would lead our nation, that godly leaders would get elected, not so they can force a Christian agenda, but so that your kingdom may come. Lord, I pray that Christians would vote this November and that they would consult you and not just go into default mode, but they would actually consult you. How many of you guys know sometimes God uses non-Christian people to accomplish kingdom purposes? Amen. He did it over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. How many of you guys are glad that God can use imperfect people? God hasn't had anybody qualified working for him yet. And you and I ain't going to be the first. Well, Lord, we pray for our city. We pray for Governor DeWine, that you would give him wisdom in dealing with this COVID mess. Lord, we pray for Mayor Ginther, that you'd give him wisdom when dealing with this COVID mess. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who are serving in our police departments and our, our civil service departments. We pray that you would give them supernatural protection, that no lives would be lost. Lord, we honor them. Lord, we thank you for them. And Lord, the whole defund the police mess Guys, we just pray for wisdom to straighten that whole garbage out. In case you were wondering how I felt about that garbage, instead of defund the police, we say defend the police. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just know your heart is for cities to be safe, for children to be raised in safety and have uh, opportunities for education and advancement. And so, Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come to our city, that you would use people in this room to bring solutions. I believe there's going to be a spirit of entrepreneurship rise up in the inner cities and that the churches are going to be some of the ones leading the trainings. I really believe that. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our finances, in our families, in our relationships, in our city, in our country. But Lord, let us start with us. You know, if there's anyone in this room and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, you have not said, you know what, He's, I'm helplessly dependent on him. I'm, I recognize he died for me. I'm going to live for him. I don't have to live in my own strength. I can live in a power that's not my own. I want to trust Jesus, not just so you can go to heaven, but so that heaven can begin to come into you while you're living here on earth. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, but you're like, you know what, I need to bend the knee. I need to uh, surrender my life to him. I want to give it all to him because he gave it all to me. If that's you here uh, this morning, I just ask you to do something, but I'm not just going to raise your hand. If you have not done that, but today you're like, I want to I trust Jesus. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, and uh, we want to pray with you. Jesus said this, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And every saved person in this room has had to have that time where they surrender their life to Jesus and humble themselves. Is there anyone in here you did not know Jesus? All right, well, if you wanted to pray that prayer and uh, you would like someone to pray with our teams, are we doing teams? I guess we... in the back, I thought you said in the bathroom. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Some holy water or something, I don't know. <laughs> Mary's got something here before we close out.
1: Um, so just as Jim was praying uh, for each, each of those areas, I was seeing flashes of things that maybe you have fantasized about. And I know, you know, Jim just did this exercise in writing down some things that you've you've dreamt, you know, in your heart. But I think sometimes when we use the word dream, um, sometimes it's like, I don't know, it can come out a different way than, um, so I'm going to use the word fantasize. So um, where has it, I just want you to check in for a second in your own brain with the Holy Spirit's help, what have you fantasized about? Like, what is it you have seen yourself doing on a stage? Or uh, a couple of the flashes that I saw were on the stage ministering, uh, people ministering. And um, when you were talking about the political, you started praying for that. I saw someone, like a flash of somebody, and I saw him like in the dress pants and the shoes. And you have thought to yourself, man, one day I would really, I'd kind of like to to run for office or like be be somehow involved in that political realm, but I, I, am I talking crazy talk here? Have you, has anybody kind of like fantasized? You've seen yourself somewhere, but you feel inadequate. Like that would never be me. Okay, good. I'm not crazy. Um. So so I just want you to just for a second, just close your eyes. And um, if that wasn't you, I just want you to think like, man, where where do where does God see me? Like, God, just give us a flash right now of a place that I have not made it to yet, but, but I know that you've seen me there. And now I just want you to think, like this week, what is one thing that you can do to take a step towards that? For some of you, it might be actually stepping onto the platform, For some of you, it might just be getting training in a background of that area. Maybe it's more preparation for yourself. But I do feel like it's time for you to take a step forward in that area of passion or uh, fantasizing. I know it's kind of a weird word, but okay. Okay, secondly, um, I just wanted to really quick. So next Sunday, we do not have church right?
0: What? We don't have church here. here we are the church. Here. We're the not
1: church, meeting the in church building. The church is plural of Christ
0: follower, and so we will not have a corporate So, gallery.
1: So if you do not, are you brave enough to raise your hand if you do not have a, if you have not connected with a revival community group yet? And you want to. And you want to? Can you just raise your hand? I want Brian to look around here in here. All right, we've got a couple So Brian, are you going to be right up here? So Brian's going to be right here. So make a beeline, (laughs) make a beeline to him. And if you're still kind of shopping around, like which revival community groups for me, this is what these tables are up here for. So if the leaders could, you guys could come up and um, get ready to man those, that would be awesome too. I think that's all the, oh, one last thing. (laughs) This is very exciting. If you're a woman, (laughs) listen, listen. You know, like, this is going to be our second year of doing women's retreats. And you know how, like, I am totally not for women's retreats, but this is what's happening again, okay? So we're doing it. We're separating ourselves. But what I wanted to say is this year, one of the breakouts that you can choose from is for uh, writing in the glory, writing with your pen, in the glory. So if you guys have been prophesied over or you feel like there's a book in you and you're like, man, I just don't know how to get it out, please come to this retreat because this is going to be a really great start for you who are like, man, I have a book in me, but I don't know how to start. Writing in the glory, I mean, doesn't everybody want to take that break out? Yes? Okay, that's all. Now you can really close.
0: All right, let's stand for closing prayer if you're not already standing. (laughs) Stand tall, stand up straight, yeah, shoulders back. Have you ever actually seen what good posture looks like? It's really weird. You're supposed to put your heels, your butt, your shoulders, and your head against the wall. And so you just feel so superior to everybody else. Lord, we love you. As we stand tall in your presence, Lord, I bless your people. Lord, I bless them to be full of inextinguishable hope. Lord, I bless them to keep those promises, those prophetic words, those desires of their heart before you. And Lord, trusting that you're going to fulfill your word, that you're going to shape us to become the people who can carry the promise. So Lord, we just bless this city. Lord, we bless families in this room. We bless those watching online, on replay. And uh, Lord...